Today, you'll hear the views and ideas of our podcast guests. We're eager to showcase their expertise and provide a platform for their views, but they may not always reflect or align with the views of the positive effect or the MAP Center for Urban Health Solutions. Welcome to Podcast. We are created by and for people living with HIV. On each episode, we explore what it means to be Pause. We challenge the status quo and we share stories that matter to us. I'm James Watson and I'm HIV positive. If you're living with HIV, listen up. If you go back to the beginning of TUOs and what our overall or main objective was, it was to actually develop a woman-centered HIV care model. This is a model that is responsive to the unique health care and social care um, priorities and needs of women living with HIV. We were successful in doing that. We're still continuing to develop and implement this woman-centered HIV care model. And we developed it based on those key findings from Chiwos. We have a great show for you. This is Pausecast. Twenty twenty one is the ten year anniversary of Chiwos, so we are going to celebrate. What is Chiwos, you ask? Well, none other than the largest community based cohort study of women living with HIV in Canada, which is an acronym for the Canadian HIV Women's Sexual and Reproductive Health Cohort Study. This is a groundbreaking and life-changing study focused on the unique HIV care needs of women in this country. And Chivos has not only done great things in its own right, but has set in motion the creation of numerous other initiatives focused on women-centered care. 1,422 participants were recruited across three provinces, with more likely to come, and over 40 peer researchers were hired, trained, and engaged in a project designed by, with, and for women living with HIV. Today, I have two fabulous guests who are going to help us shine a light on all things Chiwos. Brecklin Bertozzi is an HIV-positive mother of two who founded and runs a women's support group in Hamilton, Ontario, is a peer researcher on the Chiwos study, as well as a focus group facilitator and a peer engagement coordinator on two other studies. Joining Brecklin today is Mina Kazemi, a research coordinator at the Women in HIV Research Program at Women's College Research Institute and the Ontario Provincial Coordinator for Chivos. Welcome to Podcast. Thank you. Hey, James. So congratulations, you guys. Ten years. Like, wow. So is the team doing anything to celebrate? Mina. Yeah. <laughs> yes, we are doing um, some great stuff to celebrate, actually. I like to lead or facilitate a little bit of art therapy. I actually aspire to be an art therapist. So um, Chiwos has asked me to lead all the peer researchers in Ontario for Chiwos in an art session. So we are in the process of planning and sending little packages of art supplies and also sending a gift card for a meal from Uber Eats. So we will be celebrating together virtually. This year. Oh, that's great. Yeah, and and that's part of a bigger um, a bigger initiative for our 10 years of CHUO celebration. Um, it's called the National Women in HIV Workshop Series, which Recklin is a community advisory board member on. Um, I'm supporting the coordination of, and we're, we're aiming to have this to be a 100 plus person event 
virtually, cross-country. Everyone's invited from academics to clinicians to community members to women living with HIV. And it's our chance to showcase Chiosa's results, there are learnings, and take it one step further, take it one more, one more step to um, talk about how, how we're actually going to be continuing to impact policies and um, programming and care that affects the lives of women living with HIV. So Bracklin, wow. knowing that she's so talented in um, her facilitation skills and art, I'm really excited to have Bracklin lead a, a facilitated art workshop for our Ontario PRA team, our peer research associate team, as one as one part of it all. Well, that's great. So, so let's let's take a look back at how we got here. So why was Chivos necessary in the first place? Like, what are the issues? Yeah, maybe I'll start. And then I would definitely love to hear from Brecklin. Um, so Chivos started 10, oh, 10, 10 years ago now um, because there was, we saw that there were gaps. There was gaps in knowledge, gaps in, in, in representation. So women not being represented in research um, and gaps in care and women not receiving the care that was ideal for them. So this was our approach or our, our form of resistance to say that things need to change. We need to bring people together to optimize the health and care care of women living with HIV. And we know that women have, well, they represent about one quarter of people living with HIV in Canada, and they have unique social and health needs and priorities. And Jacqueline, I can I can share some of the some of the priorities and needs that I understand from the research we found, but I know you can also um, share from your own experiences and from your peers' experiences. For example, the high levels of trauma and depression and anxiety and forms of isolation, and this results in lower levels of ART use and viral suppression in comparison to men. I'll leave it at that. But Jacqueline, you take it away. Yeah, I would say um, what I can say about this is that while I was out there interviewing participants, the need was seen, you know, mm-hmm. and and each interview almost became a peer support session. And and I felt the need for me to be out there in the community and, and getting all this information and also just sitting and listening and and relating as a peer it was really really a lot <laughs> but it was it's it's you could see you could just i could just see the need for it right but most of the time they didn't never want me to to go they wanted me to stay and and support them and continue so so coming out of the study like what would be some of the main messages that you can tell us today yeah. So, so I guess our, if you go back to the beginning of Chiwos and what our overall or main objective was, it was to actually develop a woman-centered HIV care model. This is a model that is responsive to the unique health care and social care um, priorities and needs of women living with HIV. So we we were successful in doing that. We're, we're still continuing to develop and implement this women-centered HIV care model. And we developed it based on those key findings from Chiwos. I see. So, so some of those key findings are that, going back to that, that overwhelming experience of trauma and violence, over about 80% of women in Chiwos in their adult lives had experienced some form of violence. Um, and this is much, much higher than the general population of women in Canada. 
We also found that um, women's that they have social social needs and priorities. Many are caretakers, and they're um, as Brecklin mentioned, she has to run off right at right at time since she's going to pick up her her daughter from school. So we have caretaking responsibilities. There was um, food insecurity. We found high levels of food insecurity. We found high levels of education. Women are educated, yet they're getting they're getting jobs that aren't reflective of, of their levels of education. So there must be something something structurally wrong where um, employment isn't supportive of um, women living with HIV or, or incomes aren't high to support women's, women living with HIV's lives. We also found that women health, women's health, for example, pap testing, mammograms, um, talking about um, uh, menopause and menstruation those are gaps. So about 63% of women in Ontario um, receive pap tests annually. However, that's not meeting the Canadian guideline recommendations of yearly mm. pap testing. And when we asked when we asked women, like, why aren't you going for a pap test? There were answers around, um, my, my healthcare provider hasn't mentioned it to me, or the fear of HIV disclosure or the embarrassment. So Women's health issues um, and gaps in care and then mental health. I know Brecklin and I, we've had many conversations about what participants have expressed around their mental health, these feelings of isolation because of stigma. And we've, we're seeing that I can I can probably quote it that um, let me find it exactly how many people experience depression in Chiwos. So it's depression as symptoms are about 48.6% of women in Chiwos reported depressive symptoms. Wow. And then so the, so mental health, women's health and then HIV care is actually quite good, but it's more than just your HIV care. It's also it's the whole picture um, where right. that where that top piece or that, um, yeah, that final piece of the women centered HIV care model is peer support. So there were there were gaps in peer support and not having those peer capacity opportunities and and leadership opportunities. Was that a surprise that HIV care was so good? Were you expecting to find that? Yeah, what do you think, Brecklin? I was. I, I think that we've kind of come to a point when we, well, at least when we started Chiwos, that, you know, we've mastered caring for the HIV. Now it's what what else do we need to care for? And we're realizing the different things now that haven't been addressed and that we can start to address and start to offer holistic services for. Right. Is there something that, uh, Brecklin, that uh, when you were interviewing that surprised you? No, not really. I think as a peer, I just, I knew the realities. And, and I think with, with the research, I could sit here and tell anybody the realities of it. But when you actually do the research and get the data and the numbers, then people realize the depth of the situation and, and the severity of it. Right. So I think I, think I, I was prepared. Right. So, so really the data is the data's just sort of telling you something you already know. Yeah. So... So how did you, just out of curiosity, how did you get into this work, Bracklin? Um, so actually, when I was first diagnosed, which was in 2010, I met a, a wonderful lady who was involved in peer research, and she was the first woman that I ever met 
living with HIV, the first person other than myself. And I was a participant in a study of peer support. And so we met, you know, bi-weekly. And I was in, you know, a rough situation going through my PTSD and, and other life circumstances. And slowly, she was able to just you know, help me rise above and become the person that she saw that I couldn't see at the time. So with her help and others, pull myself up and she noticed she recommended me for a peer research position. That's fantastic. What about you, Mina? How did you end up here? Um, yeah, that's a good question. And Raglan, I don't know if you, I don't know if I've ever told you about how I ended up here. <laughs> so my first of all, thank you for having me on a podcast by and for um, positive folks. I think this is amazing what you're doing, James. So I really appreciate you letting me into your space, Brecklin and James, as someone who is not living with HIV. I I first was um, introduced to the idea of community-based research, specifically in HIV, when I was in my undergrad. I had um, a very privileged undergrad being able to study at University of Toronto, and I was awarded a scholarship from the, from the Canadian government to work in Cape Town in South Africa, with the Desmond Tutu mm. HIV Foundation. And there I got to experience a peer-based model that brought peer support and access to medications to the community in a, in a township where prevalence rates are quite high in, in terms of HIV. And um, this had a huge impact on me. I was at a, I was at a young, transform, a very impressionable age, and I was specifically really motivated and inspired by some of the relationships I made there, specifically a woman, um, a good friend of mine now, who was a um, or who is a, a single mom, a black single mom living in a township, living with HIV. And just her, her passion, her, her ability um, to connect issues and motivate her community and push through the stigma that she faced on a daily basis made me think there's a lot to do and there's a lot that... Um, we can do as allies, especially to, to combat that, that structural inequalities that I saw so rampant in South Africa, uh, where South Africa is still so socially and economically segregated mm -hmm. with the long lasting effects of apartheid. So I was, yeah, really excited by her impact as a community health worker. I saw her as almost a peer researcher. And I knew that this is, yeah, this is where I want to be. This is really exciting work. And Peer researchers have such a um, amazing role and and expertise to be able to be so close to the ground, um, to use their experiences to connect with others, to achieve a bigger goal like like optimizing the health and well being of individuals. So absolutely, yeah. So, you know, and the peer researcher role is so integral to community based research, and I wonder, you know, like what was it about the community based research approach? That, that helped make this study so successful? I know peer research certainly is one, but what else about this, the CBR uh, uh, methodology supported this study? The people, the other people too, like Mina. And Mina, when you say that, thank you for having you in our space, this is your space too. You know, you're an ally with us and you're a very special woman. You've been with us throughout this process and have become like family. And I think, you know, the research assistants and the principal investigators, um, specifically on Chivos, have been so 
just loving and caring and empathetic and understanding and approachable and and just like you know and wanting to treat us as partners in this research so that really made a difference in this study right what do you think mina Brooklyn, you're making me emotional <laughs> But wow, I couldn't have summarized it better in saying that it's about the people. I think CBR or community-based research is all about people. It's about relationships. It's about bringing people together in ways that are supportive. It's so much about community care. It's so much about these like care on top of care on top of care to make sure that everyone is cared for and being flexible. Like oftentimes we have to remember that the process is as important and more important than the outputs or the final, the final perfect published paper that our academic institution wants or our funders want. It's so much about the people. It's about yeah. creating st supportive structures that bring people together meaningfully so that we can bring folks that haven't had a chance to sit at a decision-making table and allow them to speak up but maybe that took a couple of meetings beforehand and a couple of hours working with them to get to the, that point, to have the confidence to speak up and a debrief meeting afterwards to make sure that there wasn't um, harm done or um, anything that felt uncomfortable or triggering done at that meeting or that decision making table. Right. Well, I mean, I mean, Chibos is a large study. I mean, that's like like over 1,400 participants and they had steering committees like national and provincial and or community advisory boards and admin staff and coordinators to, to you talk about the people. So how did you keep all those people? How does that machine work, that structure? How, how did that support permeate through that large structure? Brecklin? Like a family unit, <laughs> it ha you know, it has its up and downs. There's some mess involved, but at the end of the day, we all come together with passion for the work, and and that's why we're here. And we realize that, and we yeah. make it work. Yeah, and maybe to add to that, I think yeah, I think with any bringing any group of people together with differing opinions and differing living lived experiences and ways of knowing. It's important to have some like guidance or some like grounding, grounding principles. So Chiwos, um, the development of it was so important to why it was so successful or why we're still being so successful. We sat down um, with many different thinkers from the very beginning and engaged many different individuals at the beginning to develop the vision, the mission, the guiding principles and to apply those guiding frameworks and principles throughout took a lot of intention and a lot of resources as well. So some of our key guiding frameworks were ideas and concepts of intersectionality, um, social justice, the meaningful engagement of women living with HIV or MIWA or JIPA, um, social determinants of health, anti-oppression, anti so to give you an example, there was training that was mandatory for all for all staff and refresher training as well on anti-oppression, how to be an active ally, how to how to combat um, systemic racism. And we yeah, we put money towards those those trainings and time for all staff to be trained and retrained um, so th those principles can be not only used at a personal level, on a one on one level with participants, with with team members, but also also as a way to think about our analyses and how to interpret findings from those frameworks. Right. Well, that foundational work has obviously paid off. Great dividend. 
You know what? You, you mentioned Miwa before, and I just want to go back to that because I think it was Chiwos really that coined that that acronym. And, you know, so so why was it necessary for, for your Chiwos team to move beyond JIPA, Brecklin? I think that, you know, the history alone of HIV and AIDS and, um, you know, the focus as well, it hasn't always been on women. And so so we wanted to kind of move the focus towards women mm-hmm. and and we wanted to represent the unique you know, needs of women and and the unique things that we have to offer um, to this type of research and to to any peer-related or community-based related project. So I think it was to to put kind of more focus on women where it wasn't happening before. Right. Fair enough. Mina? Totally. And by women, we also also like to be very inclusive. CHIWOS is an inclusive study in that we define women as women, um, trans women, cis women, women with disabilities, abilities, diverse women in terms of ethnicity. So we are, we want to be as inclusive as possible. And with that, I think the meaningful engagement of women living with HIV, we also consider like the intersectionality of that. So how do we meaningfully engage trans women? And Chiwos, uh, this is one example that Chiwos created its own um, sub-study or a, a sub-body called Tweery, the Trans Women and HIV Research Initiative for trans women by trans women to look specifically at the, stu- the data pertaining to trans women and, and to interpret and make use of it in ways that make most sense for those communities. Um, so part of meaningful engagement also means making sure that there's space for, for, those, for those folks in those different diverse communities. Right. Oh, that's amazing. So, so let's talk about the, the peer researcher approach in, of Chiwos. And I bring this up, you know, because the inclusion of peer researchers, of course, is, is uh, key to the success of most CBR studies, um, good ones. Um, and I've also just finished up a two-part series uh, of talking about with, with other peer researchers and talking about peer researchers. So I'm all keyed up on this topic. So bear with me. Uh, but um, I, I was wondering maybe, because I know, Brecklin, you've written a poem about this very topic, if you might give us, if you might read it now, so that we, to give us some context around some of the following questions would be wonderful. Sure. Okay, so the poem is called Accredited by Life. I should have worn my (laughs) t-shirt. I have a t-shirt that says Accredited (laughs) by Life. (laughs) It would have been lost on our audience. Oh, that's true. (laughs) (laughs) I can see you, but they can't see me. Um, Okay, so Accredited by Life. My life experiences make me qualified for the work that I do. My struggles, health issues, trauma, and most importantly, my resilience that has gotten me through. I am a peer researcher, or PRA for short. Proud, passionate, and grateful are some of the words that come to mind. A strong woman using my skills and research to advocate for good health and support for my peers and I. There are many other PRAs advocating for themselves and their peers just like me that are part of the research process that is building their capacity. A team of people with different skills working for what's right, coming together with similar purposes and values, a common goal and fight. 
Us PRAs are a team of beautifully broken pieces that have been put back together to help others, a close community like family, my sisters and brothers, living libraries, giving and taking, learning from all the stories and realities of what we're facing. However, the dark side of this work can't be denied. Substance use disorder, trauma, violence and depression turning into real people right before my eyes. I wish I would have known then what I know now, the judgment and stigma in my mind I wouldn't have allowed. The oppressive form in which we get paid has really made me frown. Sometimes the same system building us up can also bring us down. The hours, the love, the sweat and tears often go unseen, but it's worth it because of all the beautiful stories and what they mean. I'm a liaison between my peers and service providers, doctors and policymakers, turning the pain, trauma and beauty in their words into data and academic papers. With the goal of bringing myself and my peers good health, harmony, peace and ridding them of strife, I do this work with love, empathy, gratitude, and because I'm accredited by life. Thank you. Wow. Well, well so done. So good. <laughs> yeah, that's really great, Brecklin. Now, was this uh, poem, did you write it because of your experience in Chiwos? I think uh, the full experience, but I, I definitely think Chiwos was my foundation. So I know, I know, James, you met me in the beginning of all this in Halifax. And at that time, maybe you didn't know it, but I was a mess still. And I, 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 my capacity was low at that time. But I feel like throughout the time that I was with Chiwos, and I'm still with Chiwos now, but uh, it really built me up. And it really built my capacity um, to move on to other studies and other projects and be able to function in, in those projects so well. Right, right. Well, those themes, I mean, are, are universal for most PRAs, right? I mean, the the power and resilience drawn from, from lived experience and the positioning is a bridge between two worlds and, you know, reciprocal learning and unseen labor and all of that. It's just, it's just fantastic. So reflecting on that poem, I wonder, like, what would you say was successful for you about the Chiwos approach? I, I really think that it, it was all about, like I said, the people and the support, right? So, you know, you heard all of the the different things that women living with HIV have gone through, the trauma, the anxiety, the the mental health issues, the substance abuse. You know, we are those women, you know, so knowing that and and having that support through throughout our different intersectionalities um, was really key and understanding that. And and I often say I think that's why employment um, of people, women living with HIV is so low because that doesn't exist in, in other employment settings like it does in Chiwos. Right, right. Talk to me a little bit about the accreditation, the accreditation um, like, because like, that's the title of the poem, of you know, the accreditation of your lived experience, I guess, versus academic experience. 
Yeah, I think that you know when when you're you're submitting to research ethics or or submitting journals, they always want titles of people, right? Like you know what makes you qualified to do this, right? And I, I often like I really do think that the experience of my life that I bring to this this study, this research. Um, this community is detrimental and should be recognized more and should be more accredited. Right. And and Mina, when you hear Brecklin read this this poem, what what's your reflection? Yeah, wow, Brecklin. I yeah, I'm so amazed by Brecklin's ability to produce art. I've seen her artwork, her um like her paintings and just this poem. It's just it's amazing. Brecklin, you're incredible. You're so talented. And it for me, I mean, I'm really stuck on this this piece around the bureaucracies that, yeah, Brecklin has to face and other peer researchers have to face. Um, and I think this is one of the key tensions of CBR, that it's oftentimes our, our academic institutions and our funders don't aren't familiar with it. So it requires people and dedicated staff to work with our finance departments, to work with our um our funders and academic institutions to ensure that credit is given where credit is due. So as Brecklin gave the example of, of a paper, I remember um, su- um, supporting a paper with our Indigenous um, colleagues, and we wanted to ensure that everyone who gave both oral contributions, but also um, writing contributions were all part of the academic, um, the, the author list. And that, for example, that was something difficult that we had to push back on. Or for example, hiring practices and employment practices to creating job titles and job descriptions that value and compensate adequately um, lived experiences. These are all things that require work and, and advocacy and even about what whose knowledge we we value, for example, we know that there's systemic racism um, and that creates more barriers for for certain individuals and the meaningful participation of black and indigenous leaders and, and scholars. So how do we ensure that we we combat those systemic racisms in, in bringing more and different types of knowledge um, and having that so-called published or or honored in an academic institution? Yeah, and I think Chiwos, I think Chiwos was amazing in the sense that the strengths based piece that Brecklin also spoke about, finding strengths in each team member and finding the, the opportunities that that those strengths match up to. Yeah. Chiwos feels like a movement. That's it. It's a movement. That's why it's not over, here. James. It's a movement. It truly is. <laughs> it's a movement. That's right. So you write, Brecklin, the oppressive form in which we get paid has really made me frown. I knew you would What's bring that up. What's made you frown? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I really have to say in the beginning of Chiwos, payment was really tough. You know, working with different hospitals and colleges and universities, there's a lot of policy and red tape mm-hmm. and, you know, different departments that you have to jump through to, to figure things out. And, you know, in the beginning, it was, you know, mailed to us and we would get paid like 60 days after the work. But but you know, I have to say the Prince Mona Lufti really, really, really fought for us to get 
paid very fairly with finance and and has really changed the way we get paid since then. But there's also stuff like the fact that this is such part-time work and and we talk about titles. See, so I do, I work on many projects and I have different titles within that project. So what's the overarching title? So I made up my own title that I'm a community-based research consultant. And so, there you go. Yeah. And so, but it's not a job as a whole to these universities and there's no health benefits and and so things like that that's what i mean yeah that's uh that is tough and, we, and the other i don't know if you've listened to them but in the other podcasts we we sort of go into depth over over that and it's a struggle right across the country right i mean so these large institutions it's really hard to get any flexibility but that's great that you've they've made some changes that's good so what would be like there's so many benefits of working as a peer researcher, and I'm wondering what was the biggest struggle? Was it was it the payment? Oh, for me? Yeah. No, no, I don't think it was. I think honestly, I I would do this work for free because I'm so passionate about it. Don't say that. No, 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 no. I, I you know, like as a volunteer, <laughs> I volunteered my time to this community many right. times. I think that it's a really good thing that I get honored for my time and my expertise and the things that I put in because I, I put in a lot of effort into this work. I think the biggest challenge sometimes for me is saying no to things. You know, I, I you know, people have noticed my abilities and what I bring. And so I'm in demand a little bit <laughs> and I say yes to everything. And then I realize, oh, no, I've double booked myself. Oh, no. Oh, no. Right. You know, you know, so so that and, you know, work life balance, just like everybody else, for sure. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So, Mina, I have a question that's going to be very difficult for you to answer, which I, I <laughs> from the very little I know of you, Mina. But um, what was your biggest challenge for you working with peer researchers? That's that's a good, that's a big question. <sighs> I think that same piece, not to be redundant, but I, I do share what Brecklin's saying about how boundary setting is is sometimes difficult. And I think this goes for both my role, but also for the peer research associate role, as Brecklin just alluded to, about saying no um, and having boundaries when this work does not just go between nine and five, when we know we're working with participants who sometimes need to meet in the evening or peer researchers or myself when we have other competing complica- um, co- uh, obligations as women, as caregivers, et cetera, that sometimes this needs this work needs to go beyond nine to five. So I think wearing multiple hats and seeing both myself, but also my colleagues, like or my peer research associate colleagues wearing multiple hats and preventing that burnout has been the hardest. Um, and that there's so much unseen and uncompensated work, I think, in research, in CBR especially, um, because so much of it is, it's process and relationship based that doesn't happen in those paid those paid hours um, that our, our institutions see. I think those are the biggest challenges and trying to feel, trying to support us all through it. And I, I, I can give you an example. Like last week when I felt like I was, I was very close to burnout and Bracklin took time out of her evening and reached out to me. And that meant the world when I really needed that, that uplifting. That's fantastic. She was there. Mm-hmm. So what would, um, <laughs> what would, uh, there's tears going on here, folks. <laughs> so I'll start with you, Mina. I'm going to ask the same question to both of you. But well, what recommend, recommendation would you make to other CBR teams who are starting out working with peer researchers? And I'll start with you, Mina. Hmm. 
Hmm. Just the one. Just one recommendation. Just one. Ooh. Just one that, that the, the most uh, pressing that you would could think of. Yeah. Make it your top priority. Like, don't make this an afterthought. If you're doing CBR, do it right. So that means prioritizing the people you work with, prioritizing all levels of people you work with, understanding their competing priorities, making sure that you've created structures that are collaborative, giving resources to capacity building and career progression. Peer researchers don't want to stick at, I don't want to speak to you for you, but Brecklin, you have potential to move on and, and do other things. Like you don't want to be stuck in one position. Um, I think we all deserve career progression. So making sure there's resources um, and capacity building opportunities and mentorship to get to that next step, whatever that looks like for the individual. So having that dedicated time and resources to make CBR your top priority. And what about you, Brecklin? What recommendation would you make to other CBR teams who are starting out working with peer researchers? Oh, just, um, I don't know. I, I think Mina explained it so well. Just just to care about, genuinely care about the work that you're doing and the people that you're working with, but also to, to put yourself as a priority as well in it all, you know, because this work can be really heavy. Um, right. So making sure that you're caring for yourself. And like Mina said, if you, if you see another co-worker who, who you you notice man she looks really tired she could be going through some stuff reach out you know care about each other care about yourself okay so should should research teams and i'm assuming the answer is yes uh when working with women just uh who are peer researchers like what accommodations should they make or what should they look out for hmm. how can they better support women brecklin how can they better support? I mean, I have to say Chiwos has been the gold standard. So if you want to better support peer researchers who are women in research, look to our model. <laughs> okay. And where can we find your model? On the Chiwos website. Website. Yeah. Exactly. www.chiwos.ca. But there's something that um, Brecklin, I think you and I spoke about, and maybe you even coined called, we called it trauma and violence aware research. Yeah. And I would love to just share a little bit about it, but then hear mm -hmm. Brecklin's thoughts to explain it further. But what we thought about was that because women and women living with HIV experience violence and trauma at overwhelming rates, there needs to be, we need to respond to this in all of our practices, not only in, in clinical care, but also on our day-to-day -day work and relationships. So, so trauma-aware or trauma-informed research would mean that we're aware of the inherent power dynamics and the impact of those power dynamics. We can't just say that there's no there's no power differentials between our, our PI and uh, myself as a coordinator or, or peer researcher. There are inherent power dynamics, but there there's ways to try to mitigate their impacts. For example, providing the social support, the community care, building the trust um, and support, being supportive of life circumstances and, and giving the accommodations that everyone requires at time time for time to time. And then also that also involves like harm reduction and having tr being trained in harm reduction. And sometimes that involves de-escalation training. Um, I'm sure Brecklin, you've had experiences of working with participants where they've been triggered um, and having and having the tools to support them. Um, this is all trauma and violence aware research, which we love to call it. 
Yeah, definitely. I think I talked about uh, I, I think I talked about it already. And and like I said, Chivos has been the gold standard. Like, literally, I have Mina's cell number and we text each other. <laughs> you know, we it, it's just so supportive. And, and even though there are those different different levels of, you know, the, the principal investigator, what did you call it? What's the word? Hierarchies or... Yeah, yeah. You don't feel mm-hmm. it in this study. You really don't. We're all just treating each other like we're we're just as as capable and and you know mm-hmm. ready to do this work as anybody else. Mm-hmm. Wow! And we all have something to offer. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So Chiwos, you know, ten years in, are there plans to just keep it running? It can definitely is that the goal, or is there going to be a wrap up? Mina. Oh, um, so I had mentioned that I love the idea of the movement. Chivos is a movement. That's it, James. Um, <laughs> so I hope the the legacy of Chivos will never end and the work won't end until we do reach that vision of optimizing the health and well-being and, and priorities and goals and visions of women living with HIV in Canada. So I, I saw Chiwos in three different phases where it started off back in 2010, 2011 with the formative phase of bringing people together and, and listening, doing a lot of listening um, to hear about what the gaps were for women living with HIV in Canada. And then the second phase was the quantitative survey phase where there was three waves of data collection with 1,422 women living with HIV, cis and trans across Canada. And there was also some qualitative research with body mapping and, and other forms of research or, or um, for example, our Indigenous communities use arts-based methods to answer those same questions in the survey. And then our next phase or where, we are, where we're at right now is this knowledge translation and exchange and mobilization phase where we have so much information. We have these stories that women have trusted us with and we're trying to use them in a way that 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 serves our goals of optimizing the health and well-being of women. And so I don't think it's going to be done anytime soon. We have publications. There's over 60 of them right now, but we continue to publish. Um, We're hoping that this national workshop series will be a way to come together to create goals um, to impact policy and programming. And then our women-centered HIV care model, which we're we're really excited about. Brecklin, um, you've presented at all different types of spaces, um, international, national, local. So there's so much to be done there as well. Well, I mean, yeah, that Chivos, um, that women-centered healthcare model is uh, amazing. And you've also developed right on top of that two tools, right? One for healthcare providers and one for women themselves. I don't know if you want to speak a little bit about that, Brecklin. Oh, yeah. I think that was the main goal of Chivos, to create these toolkits and to have this model. And it's it's amazing. And, and like I know myself, I was involved in every step of the way for both the model and the toolkit. Um, so it, it is completely peer-reviewed and and it's great work. And, and I'm honoured to be able to present that work around the world like there's there's a lot of interest in it and it and and it's taking off and it's awesome i love it that's fantastic it's going to make great changes and where can you find these toolkits again it's on the chivos website yes we have a tab um, on the chivos website called women-centered hiv care 
all of the the link for the toolkits, which is hosted on the Center for um, sorry the Center for Effective Practice website. They supported us in creating the toolkits from a more evidence standpoint. And then, as Brecklin mentioned, it went through many rounds of of peer feedback, focus groups with women across Canada um, to create these two toolkits. And it's also translated into French. And another part of Chivo, so the next steps of Chivo, is that these toolkits in the model are being assessed and adapt adapted for other key populations. So for trans women living with HIV, for Indigenous women, um, there's interest in developing a model for um, ACB women or African Caribbean and Black women. So there's lots, there's lots in the pipeline. Oh, wow. That's fantastic. That's fantastic. And this has been fantastic. I can't thank you both enough for coming on today. I'm going to finish up with the five rapid fire questions. <laughs> and uh, I will start with you, Mina. Okay. okay, let's do this. All right. Rain or shine? Oh, shine, 100%. <laughs> ask questions or answer questions? Ooh, I'd rather ask the questions. Okay, introvert or extrovert? Extroverted. Everyone knows that about me. <laughs> <laughs> Touch your taste. Hmm. I'm a huge foodie. Love Love the okay. food. Okay. <laughs> Taste. <laughs> Save or spend? Savor. Savor. All right. Over mm-hmm. to you, Bracklin. Rain or shine? Shine. 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 Ask, ask questions <laughs> or answer questions? Answer. Introvert or extrovert? Extrovert. <laughs> Two extroverts with yes. me today. Um, touch or taste? Taste. I'm also taste. a foodie. Foodie, save or spend? I'm a saver. Saver, wow, very similar. All right, well, thank you both very much. (laughs) Thank you, James, and thank you, Brecklin. Yes, thanks for having us here. This is great. That's it for us this month. Thanks for tuning in. We hope you'll join us next time on Podcast. And if you have any comments or questions or ideas for new episodes, send me an email at pausecastforyou at gmail.com. That's the number four and the letter U. Pausecast is produced by The Positive Effect, which is brought to you by Reach Nexus at the MAP Center for Urban Health Solutions. The Positive Effect is a facts-based, lived experience movement powered by people living with HIV and can be visited online at positiveeffect.org. Technical production is provided by David Grine of the Acme Podcasting Company in Toronto. 